Morning, everybody. Why don't you just say hi to each other? You have to kind of stay where you are, but reach out to one another. Say hello. Hello. Make a connection if you can. And those that are worshiping with us at, on, at home, thanks for being with us this morning. And um, if you need anything from us, just give the office a call or reach, us, re- reach out to us by email. And um, uh, you're the largest congregation we have, so we want to take good care of you. So if we can be a help to you, you know, just uh, uh, give me a call or call the church office, and we'll make sure you get what you need. So. Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, come with me to John chapter 5, and um, we're looking at um, verse oh, 31 through the end of the chapter. So, so John chapter 5, verse 31 through the end of the chapter. This section, uh, 31 through the end of the chapter, is like a lot of uh, sections of the New Testament. It kind of is a, it, it's a narrative. Uh, there's there's uh, three things that are going to happen, three main things that are going to happen in our text. Uh, Jesus is being confronted by the religious leaders of the day, and Jesus has claimed, you know, to be the Son of God. He's, uh, he's claimed to give everlasting life. He's claimed, you know, brings talks to Nicodemus and says, Nicodemus must be born again. And, and the religious leaders, like, they're flipping out. They're like, you're kidding. Where's the proof? Or... Years ago, there used to be this commercial by Wendy's. You know, they had this lady, and they go like, where's the, where's the beef? So they're, they're, these religious leaders are just beside themselves, and they want a witness. And, and the witness that they're asking for is in compliance with Deuteronomy 19.15, which is the Old Testament standard for to, to, to prove anything. Uh, has to be proven by at least, what, two or three Witnesses, And so Jesus is going to comply with that. He's going to respond to that. And, and our text is, is, a, is a narrative about that. The problem with texts like this is that you can check out. You can say, well, that's then, but this is now. That's, that's them. They're the religious leaders. That's not me. I'm not a religious leader. You know, I'll just check the scores of the games. That happened last night. I understand the women lost. Was it the Huskies? No basketball women here? Yeah, Northeastern lost, yeah. Who won? Wisconsin. Okay, so there's one person that knows anything. So, so you, you know, you could be like, well, I've got to check the scores on that, and I'm going to check out. And so I, I just want to encourage you to think about that for a minute. And, and what value is it of you checking out? And how can you engage a text like this? So when I come to a text like this, and I read the Bible all the time, and there's lots of these throughout the Old and New Testament. They're just narratives. And it's so easy to say, that's then, this is now, that's them, this is me and not really engage the text. And so here's a remedy that I've decided for me. I'll offer it to you. When I find a text like this, I try to put myself in the person's shoes, like these religious leaders. I try with all my heart to say, I'm them. That's me. That's my heart before Christ. 
That could be my heart today. And if you begin to do that in the text, you begin to understand the sinfulness that's not only presented in the text, but you're, you're liable to find the points of growth that the Lord wants to do in your own life. Like when we think about the paralytic, the invalid, that was there for 38 years. When I approach that text, I say, I'm that invalid. I've been there for 38 years. I'm trying to get to God. I can't make it by myself. I'm that person. Or I'm the woman at the well. Now, I don't have any problem with my identity as a man. I'm a man, but when it comes to the text, I say, I'm that woman. I'm the woman that's, that's, that's promiscuous. I'm the person that has a way with thinking pattern. I'm the person that's trying to think, uh, I, I'm the person that's trying to evade Jesus's questions by posing a religious question to get the heat off of me. I'm that person. There's a psalm, if you'd come there with me, Psalm 139. Some of you might know it by heart. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, kind of gets at what I'm saying. The psalmist writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. If there is any wicked way within me, if there's any grievous way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. And so when I approach the Bible, it's, Lord, search me. Lord, help me see who I am. Help me see the grace that you want to apply to my life so that I can change and I can be more Christ-like. I can be a better person. I can be a better husband. I can be a better father. I can be a better grandfather. I can be, I can be a good friend. Change my life, O oh Lord. The psalmist gives us some interesting insights. He says to the Lord, he says, know my heart, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts. You know, there's one thing about me that I know that I don't really know my heart. I don't, I don't even, sometimes my thoughts are weird. I call my thought life, I've, I've personified. Now, you know my name's Ed Conway. Some of you call me Eddie at your own life, your own risk. But I grew up being called Edward. And when you hear Edward, you're running. You're running for your life. <laughs> and I call my thought life Edward. Because he is the most unreliable dispenser of information into my life, bar none. He's like the he's like the <laughs> he's like the roommate that just won't shut up. You ever have a roommate like that? I had a roommate like that. His name was called Raymond Zimmerman. He's a tall, lanky guy. And when I was in the Air Force, he was my roommate. And and you, you think that. You just chatter, 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 chatter. I'm like, Raymond, would you just be quiet? We need some peace around here. That's, that's, that's my thought life. And so I'm out for a run this morning, and, and it's beautiful, beautiful sunrise. You know, the sun's coming up over the bay, and it's just like, like great. And I say, I'm coming over the Beverly, Salem Beverly Bridge. I say, man, I'm just going to stop and watch this sunrise come up. And you, you know what Edward says? Better get moving. You know, you got to get to church. Better get moving. What are you stopping for? Get, your heart rate's going to go down. You're going to miss your goal. Come on, come on, come on, come on. 
He's intolerable. But you know, the word of God is not that way at all. The word of God is true. The word of God, you can count on. You can have confidence in it. It can guide If you're just counting on your thought life, your own heart to be your guide, you're going to end up a wreck. Honestly, think about it. How many times has, it, just this morning, how many times has a, a thought just come into your head that was like ridiculous? And you've got to differentiate that. And so when we come to the text here in John chapter 5, your thought life's going to probably tell you this. Oh, don't worry about that. That's not you. That can't be you. Search me, O oh Lord. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. If there's any way in me, O oh Lord, lead me, Lord, in that straight path. Lead me to that place of life. Let's pray together. That was all free. That was all the introduction. <laughs> so let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We pray, Lord, that as we look at our text this morning, um, Lord, that you would speak to our heart, and Lord, that you'd help us. The religious leaders of Jesus' day are asking for a witness. Jesus is going to offer them three. The first one is his own witness, which according to the law is unreliable. Take a look at the text with me. We're looking at verse 31. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. And so there's two things that we can see in this text, uh, this one verse here. One that Jesus recognizes that just his own words are not enough. And that's true by the law of Moses. It has to be by two or three, not by someone's self affirmation, that's not good enough. And it's not good enough anywhere in a court of law. And so Jesus says, yes, I assent to that. But he also gives us an insight into his inner world and that inner thought life and how truth impacts his inner thought life. See, he says that his father has been speaking to him. Or we're going to get to that. He, he alludes to the, to the third witness, which is his father in this verse. But he, but he shows us that when, when truth impacts the heart, when truth impacts a conscience, then what you get from that is courage and confidence. And so that's why the Word of God is such an important aspect in the diet, in our daily diet as a Christian. And so when we get up in the morning, my encouragement to you is start the day with a daily devotion and let the Word of God shape and mold your heart, and your inner conscience so that as you walk through the day, you're much more likely to get some good stuff from Edward. It's highly unlikely, Edward. You're going to think, my gosh, 911. Send the white coats for Conway. But it's true, isn't it? And so Jesus has that courage and confidence that comes out of a relationship with that's truth. So I'm going to have to pause and uh, piece of batteries. This is this is this is always like 
You know, this would have to happen when we're on live, you know? He better because Pastor Ed ain't. Well, we're back. Do I look like Do I look like Ben now? Do I look younger? Oh, this one's This one's on now too. All right, Ben. Thanks. know what to do. Uh, this is like, this is like bizarre. You know, if you're visiting here for the first time, I'd like to say this has never happened before, but it has. So what can I, what can I say? Hi, folks at home. You, I'm back. Yeah. So look at. Look at verse 31 with me. It says, I alone bear witness about myself. My testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. And so the first witness is, is Jesus disqualifying himself, yet in the next verse we see how his inner world is shaped by the truth that comes from the Father towards him. And that application to us is important that our inner world needs to be shaped by that truth so that we have confidence and we have courage to face the things that we face in this life. The second witness is John the Baptist. And we know that John the Baptist has, has already said that Jesus is the Messiah and fulfillment of the prophets. We already know that that, and we've already looked at that John the Baptist says Jesus is the Lamb of God, and that takes away the sins of the world. And we know that Jesus is the one who baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus comes and says, if you don't believe me, which is okay, then, then believe, believe the truth about John the Baptist, because the heart of Christ is for the salvation of all men, because he's come to seek and to save the lost. And he's come that no man would perish. And so take a look at the text with me. It says, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, or verse 33, you sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things to you so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. And so, first witness is Jesus himself. Second witness is John the Baptist. Now, the third witness and the most critical witness to validating Jesus' deity is the Father himself. And the Father testifies about Jesus. Take a look at the text with me. I'll read it through, and then we'll come back and point out the essential truths that are in these verses. Verse 36, 
But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me, and the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me, his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. And so what Jesus is saying here is, is three or four really pivotal things. Jesus is saying that the, that the deeds that, that Jesus did, the deeds that he did, the deeds that he performed were empowered and the authority to accomplish those deeds, the power and the authority to accomplish those deeds was given to Jesus by the Father so that they would prove his deity. Now, John lays out seven of these in the ESV, seven miracles all the way from John chapter 2 to John chapter 11. The correct translation of miracles is really the word sign. And so these seven things are seven signs that affirm the authority and power and deity of Jesus. We've looked at three of them already. We've looked at John chapter 2, which is Jesus comes to a wedding. It's at Cana, right? And he comes to this wedding, and it's a it's a pretty well-attended wedding, and they run out of what? They run out of wine, and Jesus' mother, Mary, comes to Jesus, and he says, uh, she says to her son, says, Jesus, we run out of wine, and Jesus says this, my, uh, woman, my hour has not what? My hour has not yet come, speaking of his crucifixion. And so his, his mother says, oh, my boy, I don't know what to do with you. And she, and she just says to the servants, she says this, greatest line about Mary in all the Bible. She says, just do what Jesus tells you to do. So Jesus goes over to these five jugs of water, maybe 200 gallons, 250 gallons uh, of water. And he just, he doesn't really even say anything. He doesn't really do any great prayer. But in an instant, that water is turned into what? Are you sure? Yes. Not grape juice, right? And I say that tongue-in-cheek because they served this. And all the guests and the, and the head waiter said what? Wow, this is a miracle. <laughs> but it was a sign pointing to something. What it was pointing to is those jugs, if we, if we used, if you're into types and shadows of Old Testament stuff, how many jugs were there? Five. How many books that did Moses write? Five. What is the authority that the Jewish religious leaders want to focus on? Moses and the Pentateuch, the five, first five books of the Bible. And so what Jesus demonstrates here is his authority and power over all creation, taking water and making it to wine, but he does something far greater. He says, I am the fulfillment 
of all those ceremonial laws, all those laws of Moses that you see in the first five books, I'm the fulfillment of those things. And secondly, and I think as equally important, Jesus brings joy into a disastrous situation. It reveals his nature. It reveals his character. Can you imagine the testimony or the report? How many, how many of you have been to a bad wedding? You never forget it. Like you talk with your friends. Oh, do you remember going to Charlie's wedding? What a disaster. Or do you remember going to Claire's wedding? Can you, can you, believe, can you believe what her mother did? I mean, you never forget those things. The people, the bride and groom, never forgot their wedding because this rabbi came and rescued, rescued a disastrous, lifelong, shameful situation, and he came and he dispensed grace in the midst of them. That's my Jesus. My Jesus is all-powerful, all-authority, turns water into wine. My Jesus is not only that powerful, but my Jesus is the compassionate Jesus. My Jesus is the tender-hearted Jesus. My Jesus understands the nature of my troubles, and my Jesus knew that those people needed joy, and they certainly got it. We looked at that in John chapter 2. John chapter 4, the, the next miracle that, that we looked at is what? The nobleman's son. The son of a nobleman, the son of a high official. And he came to Jesus and said, my little lad is dying. My little, my little boy is dying. And Jesus kind of rebuffed him, didn't he? Sent him on, was going to send on his way. And, and the, the man pleaded and begged. And Jesus looked at him and said, your son will live. What does that tell us about Jesus? Same basic two things, except in a little different way. Tells us about his authority and power over every human being, everything in creation. John chapter 2 said that. Now we see it applied to a human situation. And, this, and the underline of that is compassion once again. Every parent knows that desperate prayer when your child is sick late at night. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. You're thinking, do I go to the ER? Do I not? And you pray that desperate prayer. See, Jesus knew the heart of that man, and my Jesus knows my heart like that. When we're in a desperate place, not only is he sovereign, not only is the, he the ruler of the universe, but he's the one that, that wants to bring joy to my life, and he's the one that wants to have compassion even in my most broken places. How about John chapter 5? These signs, these deeds that point to Jesus Christ as Lord, Savior, Sovereign, but also king, but also tenderhearted. How about the man at the pool of Bethesda? He was there for 38 years. If you're into types and shadows, how about 38 years of unnecessarily wandering in the wilderness, children of Israel? But Jesus is standing, he, Jesus is standing afar off, and he's watching that man, and he's watching that he can't make it to the pool. But Jesus has what? He has compassion on him. Is there a sign there? There certainly is, because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and he comes and he heals on the Sabbath. And yet, the underlying thing about his nature and character is he has compassion 
on a, on a man that can't get to the pool, and he comes. So the father testifies about the deeds, testifies through the deeds of Jesus that he is indeed the Son of God. He testifies by that voice, which Jesus says they didn't hear, that voice that says, this is my beloved Son, who, am I, who I am well pleased with at his baptism. And then the Word of God, that in the Old Testament, in Moses, speaking of the greater prophet, in the Old Testament of Isaiah, speaking of the suffering servant, in the Old Testament of Jeremiah, saying someone's going to come and change your heart and make a new covenant and give you a new heart. In the Old Testament, Jesus is hidden. In the New Testament, the Messiah is revealed. So the Father testifies of the Son based upon his deeds, based upon the witness at his baptism, and based upon the Word of God. And yet, they wouldn't believe. Take a look at the rest of the text with me. It says, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in my own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Have you ever wondered why people don't get saved? You know, you witness to someone over and over again, and yet they don't come to Christ. Well, here in the text, the text gives us some of the reasons. One is a failure to grasp the purpose of Scripture, which is eternal life. John goes on, speaking of Jesus' words, a love for acceptance from men rather than love acceptance of forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. A love for self-glory, fame, recognition, prestige, respect. At the beginning of our teaching, I mentioned Psalm 139. Do you think pastors deal with this? Yes, we do. Do you think some of you deal with this? A desire for fame, desire for respect, a desire for notoriety. See, this is where it comes down. Will the word of God be transformational in your life? You say, oh, that's them, Lord. I say, no, I'm that man. I'm the man that wants self-glory. I'm the man that wants fame. I'm the man that wants that. Go to the woman at the well. I'm the person that's evading Jesus. I'm the person that doesn't want to fess up and come clean with their sin. Come to the woman at, uh, or the man at Bethesda. I'm the man that can't get to the pool. I'm the man that's been there for 38 years. I'm the man. I'm the woman. I'm the person. And when we come to that place in our life where we allow the Word of God to bring conviction to us, that's the point of transformation. And finally in our text, Jesus says this to them. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe in my words? See, the message in those last few verses is that God's given us 
God's given each one of us a measure of light and a measure of truth. They chose not to act on theirs. God gave them the law and the prophets. He gave them Jesus' own words. He gave them John the Baptist. He gave them the Father's witness, and yet they wouldn't act on the light that they had. And so what? They didn't get any more. So what? In Romans 1, their heart got a little darker. darker. Each time they rejected truth, their heart got a little colder. Each time they refused to hear Jesus, their, their heart and their spirit began to step away from the thing that could save them and transform them. See, the thing about this text is that each one of us in this room have been given a measure of truth and understanding of who God is. The question is, will you act on it? Will you act on what you know to be true? The religious leaders, they weren't going to do it. Why? Because they didn't want to lose their position, their power, their influence. What's your excuse today? What's my excuse? What's my excuse as far as not wanting more of God in my life? What's your excuse? Because I'm willing to say that your excuse and my excuse are probably about the same thing. And it comes down to this. Edward doesn't want it. Self doesn't want to die. Self wants to survive. And true spiritual formation, transformation, only comes this way. Lord, I lay down my life, a life I can't save by my own strength, a life I can't rescue. I lay down that life, and I take my life from you, a life I can't lose, a life that's eternal, a life that brings me peace and hope and salvation and joy in my life. And see, the religious leaders of the day had all this truth, but they had a heart that was centered on self. And so my encouragement to my own heart is when I read these narratives is to say this, Lord, search my heart. Lord, search my thoughts. And if there be anything that grieves your heart, Lord, Lord, would you not come into my heart and cleanse me so that I could pursue you and have joy in my life. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Let's prepare our hearts uh, to receive uh, the Lord's table this morning.